Hey, funny people. Thanks for joining me here on this episode of Four Cents of Podcast. We're going to have some fun because I've got something to talk about. So stay tuned. Hello, funny people, and welcome once again to Four Cents a Podcast. I am your host, Ian Martinez Kassmeyer. I am not going to lie to you and say that um, I planned on releasing this episode, this final episode in celebration of National Poetry Month on the 30th of April. I got behind, and uh, I intended to release it on Wednesday, but instead I'm going to put it on the very last day of the month and kind of just make it uh, an official final goodbye to this month in that sense. So, the final poet that I'm going to spotlight here on the Reader's Corner's uh, Poetry Spotlight is a personal favorite of mine, and I wish more people would actually talk about her. She's thankfully still with us, and she is one of uh, the best poets easily writing in the English language, not only because of her incredible range of poetry uh, and emotional potency, but her interests and her themes, uh, and I, I just wish more people would talk about her, and that is the poet Nikki Giovanni, so stay tuned, we're going to have some fun. So Nikki Giovanni, how did I first encounter Nikki's work? Um, it was very secure, uh, a very circuitous, 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 a very circuitous. There we go. Uh, introduction. When I was 12, 13 years old, the first year I went to scout camp. I was a Boy Scout when I was a teenager. Uh, now we would just say scout, uh, which is much more inclusive. But uh, when I was uh, a scout and I went down to summer camp for the first time at the SBRF Ranch in Knoblick, Missouri, I my parents sent down a care package the week that I was down there. It's the first and only time they ever did that. Uh, and, uh, you know, along with candy and an issue of Boy's Life that, uh, you know, I was a monthly subscriber to at the time, uh, they also sent... A letter, you know, saying hi, wondering how I was doing, etc. But with the letter, they also sent a list of quotes. Because at the time, for some reason, I was obsessed with uh, with great quotes. I filled a whole notebook full of them, you know, from, from people who I admired. Uh, things that I thought had a certain profundity and sagacity to them. And one of the quotes among them was a quote from Nikki Giovanni. I since found out that it was actually a, a, a slight misquote. Uh, that the actual quote is, Mistakes are a fact of life. It's a response to error that counts. The response to error that counts. I'm not entirely sure where in her work she ever used that phrase, but hey, Goodreads attributes it to her, so that's good enough for me. Um, and it, it made me almost an instantaneous fan of her work, even though I'd never read any of her stuff, 
And as a matter of fact, I think at that time, I, had I read it, I, I probably wouldn't have liked it because I was not really into poetry at the age of 12 or 13 because I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I didn't have the education or the mindset to get it. Uh, which would have probably even made it even better for me to have read her earlier. But it made me aware that Nikki had a, an insight as a writer into the human condition, which is the fact that we are all imperfect. Um, we are all fully capable of screwing up something sometime, all the time. It's within all of us to make a mistake. The point of how, of what, the, the, the way in which you become a good person or get considered a terrible person is entirely due to how you respond to making a mistake. You know, do you try to be better? Do you try to fix it? Do you try to learn? Do you try to be less ignorant? Do you try to combat your own internal prejudices, which we all absorb because we live in this strange society that is riddled with this kind of stuff? Or do you take the chicken shit approach and, you know, get defensive and angry and say, you know, cancel culture or <laughs> uh, any of that stuff? You know, they, they, they are, they, they, to me, that's a perfect demarcation between good people and bad people. Good people strive to be better. Bad people just wallow in their horribleness <laughs> and make no effort to change. Um, and Nikki had that insight from the very beginning. So it took me a long time to finally get around to reading her. But when I finally did, my initial assumption about her that she had this incredibly profound beautiful insight into the human condition was completely confirmed. Nikki Giovanni came to prominence initially in the 1960s as a figure in what was called the Black Arts Movement. It was very much in line with what was going on in the, in the United States at the time. It was very much connected to the Civil Rights Movement. There's a lot of talk in a lot of literature that comes out of that movement very directly. Uh, of resistance to the system, fighting back, revolution, uh, very much in line with black militancy at the time, uh, which was also mixed in with uh, things like feminism and uh, uh, um, and just you know listening to the new generation, etc. And it's all in Nikki's poetry. In, in many ways, reading her poetry, some of her poetry, not all of it, but some of it, a good chunk of it, especially in the early poems, the early stuff, you get that militant tone. And it is absolutely understandable. And uh, she... But as you read her, you come to realize that Nikki... Nikki did exactly what a lot of African-American authors of that era were trying to do. They were trying to write in the language of the black community, so to speak. One of the great criticisms of the other, of the, of the previous great black movement, which was the Harlem Renaissance, which came about 40 years before the black arts movement, is that and it's something that I think James Baldwin addressed in one of his uh, one of his essays at one point, is the fact that a lot of the authors of that era, like Langston Hughes, who was probably the most prominent figure of that era, what they were doing, what he was doing in his work, in his writing, is he was trying to explain the experience of being black to white people. 
He was writing for what Toni Morrison said, uh, called, referred to as the white gaze. And so to a certain extent, there is, on the one hand, he was able to integrate the rhythm of jazz and blues into his work. I mean, you can hear it in his poetry. But, and to some extent, he's using the cadence of, quote-unquote, black speech and a black frame of reference. But he's still, in some ways, mainly in just how polished his language is and how polished some of his poetry is, he's still writing for an audience that is not predominantly black, even though a lot of black people obviously read him. With Nicky, and with a lot of authors who came of age during the black arts movement, they weren't writing for the white audience. They were writing in the voice of their community, in the voice of African-American English, and addressing other African-Americans. They were using that kind of language to talk to their people, so to speak, to talk to black folks in America. They, in other words, were trying to remove the white gaze from their work. Toni Morrison succeeded. Alice Walker, in many ways, succeeded. Um, And Nikki Giovanni, I would argue, also succeeded in removing the white gaze from her work. She removed the need to address white folks in her poetry. And so what you end up getting when you read some of her poetry the early stuff, the late stuff, the most recent stuff, is you're getting the vision, a vision of the world in kind of snapshots in time in in an interesting way. I honestly think, especially in the selection that I'm going to read for you today from Nikki's collected works, um, it doesn't include anything that she's written in probably the last 20 years. It's her collected poems from uh, 1969 to 1998. I've got the book here. 1968 to 1998. So the first 30 years of her real career, so to speak. Um, in the early parts of this collection, there's very much a public attitude. In some ways, a lot of poetry can be divided into two camps. I'm not talking about um, in terms of how it's written, in terms of uh, form. So I'm not talking free verse and, and formal poetry. I'm talking about the audience. There's a private audience and there's a public audience. A lot of Nikki's early poetry in this in this book, uh, particularly uh, the stuff that you find in you know, Black Feeling, Black Talk, her first real major book of poetry, and to a certain extent, Black Judgment, also in in, uh, recreation. What you get in a lot of those is poetry addressing a public issue, namely, uh, and you know, the the issue of the revolution at hand, the rise of the African-American in America as a true prominent force, a true social group. And you also get, you know, there are poems in here that talk about people who have been shot 
there's several poems in here that talk about the death of Martin Luther King. There's several poems talking about people who were who were gunned down by police. Nikki's been a, a great observer of these things going on because as a member of the black community, she had to be. You know, most of us who, you know, in the wake of George Floyd, in the wake of Mike Brown, we've only just started paying attention to this stuff because it's been in the news all the time. But the African-American community has been dealing with this shit forever. We just got woke to it now. Some of us got a little woke to it earlier. But in the case of Nikki's poetry, not only did she master the public poem, she also mastered the private poem. She mastered being able to take those little vignettes in our lives, those little moments sometimes of pure joy, sometimes of shock, and being able to translate them into words. And so I hope in this selection, you get a great mix of both the public Nikki and the private Nikki, because it's the same person, but it's, um, it's the same person, but it's, it's a slightly different attitude. There's in the public Nikki, there's a, a militancy. There's a certain anger. Not a cynicism, but there's a certain toughness. Uh, a forthrightness. And you can hear it, I think, in, in some of the in some of the poems. They're kind of the, the poems I'm gonna read to you are not in any particular order. They're just a selection. And there's quite a few of them because some of them are quite short. But then in the private poems, there's a tenderness kind of a wistfulness not necessarily a nostalgia but an appreciation uh, uh, for those quiet moments in life which I think a lot of us wish we could have more of and then when she shifts gears and is suddenly talking about something that's really important to the community you get this subdued anger that is totally justified And no matter which tone she's writing in, it's always beautiful. So I hope you really do enjoy this selection of poems from Nikki Giovanni. And without further ado, here's the verse. Nikki Rosa Childhood remembrances are always a drag if you're black. You always remember things like living in wood lawn with no inside toilet. And if you become famous or something, they never talk about how happy you were to have your mother all to yourself and how good the water felt when you got your bath from one of those big tubs that folk in Chicago barbecue in. And somehow, you talk about home, it never gets across how much you understood their feelings as the whole family attended meetings about Hollydale. And even though you remember your biographers never understand your father's pain as he sells his stock, and another dream goes, and though you're poor, it isn't poverty that concerns you. And though they fought a lot, it isn't your father's drinking that makes any difference, but only that everybody is together, and you and your sister have happy birthdays and very good Christmases. And I really hope no white person ever has, cause to write about me, because you never understand, black love is black wealth, 
and they'll probably talk about my hard childhood and never understand that all the while. I was quite happy. Knoxville, Tennessee I always like summer best. You can eat fresh corn from Daddy's garden and okra and greens and cabbage and lots of barbecue and buttermilk and homemade ice cream at the church picnic and listen to gospel music outside at the church homecoming and go to the mountains with your grandmother and go barefooted and be warm all the time, not only when you go to bed and sleep. Intellectualism Sometimes I feel like I just get in everybody's way. When I was a little girl, I used to go read or make fudge. When I got bigger, I read or picked my nose. That's what they called intelligence, or when I got older, intellectualism. But it was only that I was in the way. For Harold Logan, murdered by persons unknown because he wanted to own a black club on Broadway. He was just a little gangster with a high voice and a poetic mind that recognized genius and let it grow, but someone pruned his life. He didn't lie or steal, could give you measure for emotion he paid for what he wanted and had, but someone stole his life. The sanitation committee had a big meeting concerning Broadway, said the lights weren't bright like they used to be. A cleaning man came and removed his life, said Broadway was getting too dusty. No reservations for Art Jones. There are no reservations for the revolution. No polite little clerk to send notice to your room, saying you are wanted on the battlefield. There are no banners to wave you forward, no blaring trumpets, not even a blues note, moaning, wailing, lone blue note to the Yoruba drums saying, strike now, shoot. Strike now, fire. Strike now, run. There will be no grand parade and a lot thrown around your neck. People won't look up and say, Why, he used to live next to me. Isn't it nice? It's his turn now. There will be no recruitment station where you can give the most convenient hours. Monday, Wednesday, I play ball. Friday night, I play cards. Any other time, I'm free. There'll be no reserve of energy, no slacking off till next time. Let's see, I can come back next week. Better not wear myself out this time. There will be reservations only if we fail. Autumn Poems The heat you left me last night still smolders. The wind catches your scent and refreshes my senses. I am a leaf falling from your tree upon which I was impaled. Rain. Rain is God's sperm, falling in the receptive woman. How else to spend a rainy day other than with you, seeking sun and stars and heavenly bodies? How else to spend a rainy day other than with you? Poem for Lloyd. It's a drag, sitting around waiting for death, Gotta do something before I die. It's so lonely dying all alone. Gotta do something before I die. Gotta, gotta get a gun. Walking, talking, thinking gun before I die. They're so lonely. Funeral dirges. Hip black angry funeral dirges. Gotta, gotta get a gun. It's so lonely when you die. Gotta, gotta get a gun to kill death. 
kidnap poem. Ever been kidnapped by a poet? If I were a poet, I'd kidnap you. Put you in my phrases and meter, you to Jones Beach, or maybe Coney Island, or maybe just to my house. Lyric you in lilacs, dash you in the rain, blend into the beach to complement my sea, play the lyre for you, ode you with my love song, anything to win you, wrap you in the red, black, green, show you off to mama. Yeah, if I were a poet, I'd kidnap you. Alone I can be alone by myself. I was lonely alone. Now I'm lonely with you. Something is wrong. There are flies everywhere I go. Revolutionary Dreams I used to dream militant dreams of taking over America to show these white folks how it should be done. I used to dream radical dreams of blowing everyone away with my perceptive powers of correct analysis. I even used to think I'd be the one to stop the riot and negotiate the peace. Then I awoke and dug that if I dreamed natural dreams of being a natural woman doing what a woman does when she's natural, I would have a revolution. Space a flying saucer landed in my living room. I, too, am an astronaut, having applied for my own space. I welcome the visitor. I need something intelligent to talk to. Not for long, but maybe just through dinner. Not being afraid of what I don't know, I unanxiously awaited the emergence. Should I call him a spaceman, or might not it be a woman? Probably not. Her menzies on Jupiter, no less than Earth, causes excuses for exclusion. Should I shake hands and offer a glass of white wine? I always wanted to know space people, but how do we proceed? I think I should tell you. She reported as she stepped from her craft, you possibly are not seeing me, depending upon the solar year. You may only be seeing my aura. Don't worry, I assured her. Happy it was a woman. Depending on my aura, you are most likely only seeing my solar years. We sat down to talk. A Poem of Friendship We are not lovers because of the love we make, but the love we have. We are not friends because of the laughs we spend, but the tears we save. I don't want to be near you for the thoughts we share, but the words we never have to speak. I will never miss you because of what we do, but what we are, together. Straight Talk I'm giving up on language. My next book will be blank pages of various textures and hues I have touched in certain spots and patterns, and depending upon the mood, the reader can come with me or take me somewhere else. I smell blood a-cookin'. But why? I asked when she said, I'm afraid to see men cry. Because I depend, she replied, on their strength. But are they any less strong for crying nylon stockings wear better if they're washed first? Mommy said it's only potluck, but you can have some. Science teaches us matter is neither created nor destroyed, and as illogical as it is, there is nothing worthwhile but people. 
and Lord knows how irrational we are. I'll just have a scrambled egg, if that's all right. The question turns on a spelling problem. I mean, I hate to squash a roach in thought about giving up meat between the shadow, and the act falls the essence. Encore. The preceding paragraph was brought to you by the letter E in the name of Humanity. An acorn to an ant is the same as a white man to a black job. Enjoyed waiting on the Lord tell me, why can't I? And I'm glad I'm smart, cause I know smart isn't enough. And I'm glad I'm young, cause youth and truth are making love. I'm glad I'm black, not only because it's beautiful, but because it's me. And I can be dumb and old and petty and ugly and jealous, but I still need love. Your lunch today was brought to you by the Polytech branch of your local Spiro Agnew Association. Hey, this is Straight Talk. Have a good day. I don't really have much else to say about Nikki's work because I do think it's you know wonderful simply written writers who dare to be simple are always some of the best authors I think are out there and I think she's no different so instead what I think I'll do is I'll read you two more poems just as a kind of final send-off from uh, this episode. And these were these were two more poems that I, I actually didn't uh, get a look at, didn't get to read until recently, and they just struck me as being incredibly beautiful, and I just wanted to add them to you, add them to this selection. Uh, and I think that, no, on the Here's the interesting thing about Nikki. She's a she's a, a self-described space freak. Really, you know, I my my readings of Nikki on this episode do not do any of her poems justice uh, because she has such a distinct, unique, original voice. And actually, what I would like to do is I would like to su- suggest to everyone who's listening to this. To go on to YouTube whenever you get a chance and to type in Nikki Giovanni Point Loma Nazarium University's Writer Symposium by the Sea. Uh, they Point Loma Nazarene University, I'm assuming it's some kind of religious institution. The only reason I'm aware of them is because they've done quite a number of these authorial keynote symposiums that I think are quite brilliant. Uh, one of them featured one of my favorite writers, obviously, Ray Bradbury. A few of them have featured authors like Anne Lamont and Joyce Carol Oates. But Nikki Giovanni's most recent one, her most recent appearance on that program as its keynote speaker, speaker is phenomenal. Because A, you get a poetry reading out of it. She stands up in front of this wonderful audience and reads several poems, including one of them about the Pullman Porters and another one about the NASA space program. And she describes herself as an absolute space freak, which I think is kind of true if you listen to that poem. Uh, 
and I think this one also somewhat, uh, and then afterwards you, you get a, a beautiful interview with her, and you get a, a, just a taste of that wonderful personality that she has as just as a human being, very gregarious, very honest, very forthcoming, candid. I, I just think that um, listening to her read her poetry as opposed to listening to me and I am aware that I have a voice like a white dude um, <laughs> there's there ain't a twang anywhere in this voice uh, is 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 much better so let me just add these last two poems the first one is called skydiving I hang on the edge of this universe singing off key talking too loud embracing myself to cushion the fall. I shall tumble into deep space, never in this form or with this feeling to return to Earth. It is not tragic. I will spiral through that black hole, losing skin, limbs, internal organs, searing my naked soul, landing in the next galaxy with only my essence, embracing myself as I dream of you. Wonderful. And then here's another one. It's called A Journey. It's a journey that I propose. I am not the guide, nor technical assistant. I will be your fellow passenger. Though the rail has been ridden, winter clouds cover, autumn's exuberant quilt, we must provide our own guideposts. I have heard from previous visitors the road washes out sometimes and passengers are compelled to continue groping or turn back. I am not afraid. I am not afraid of rough spots or lonely times. I don't fear the success of this endeavor. I am raw in a space not to be discovered but invented. I promise you nothing. I accept your promise. Of the same, we are simply riding a wave that may carry or crash. It's a journey, and I want to go. There we go. And I just want to dedicate, finally, this last episode of the poetry spotlight here at the Reader's Corner to my two friends, Will and Val. I haven't been able to see them very much uh, due to the pandemic. I've seen them once so far. Uh, we were able to go to a comedy show a couple of months ago of local talent here in the city, uh, and I miss them. I look forward to seeing them again. And I also, I also want to dedicate this to two family members that I've recently lost. The first is my Aunt Judy, who passed away back uh, this, this past fall. Uh, some of you may have uh, remembered the episode uh, for the birds that I did last season. She was not doing very well, and sadly she passed away peacefully, thankfully. And also to my Tia Iris, who just passed away about three weeks ago. So, I'm struggling, I'm human, and I'm... I'm grieving for them but I'm also trying to enjoy life more and I think 
that poetry in many ways, the poetry of Nikki, the poetry of any of the poets that I've talked about here, Linda Hogan, uh, Jane Kenyon, Donald Hall, uh, any poet you pick up, Stan the Cunits, they all mean something to me. They all show me just exactly that life is worth living and that we need to enjoy it while we're here. So, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope maybe that I've inspired you to maybe look for other poems, other poets, and to give the form a chance. It's full of a lot of great wisdom, great beauty, and great insight. And even in our darkest times, it can also be a great comfort. Hey, funny people. Thanks for spending some time with me here on Four Cents a Podcast. Until next we meet, stay safe, stay healthy, and bear in mind the words of the great poet Langston Hughes, folks, birthing is hard and dying is mean. So get yourself a little lovin' in between. I'll see you next time.